Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou, and in this podcast, I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes fluttering and help you to lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France, and right around the world, and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Francophilers can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep us all connected to France. Find the link to the Francophile Fix YouTube channel in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest immerses herself daily with one of my fave things about France, fromage. Jennifer Greco lives and works in France and a few years ago actually became a French citizen, but we'll hear more about that. She runs cheese and wine workshops in Paris, and I'm so eager to unpack more of her fascinating story. So bienvenue to Little Bell's Francophiles, Jennifer. Ça va? Oui, ça va. Merci. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk oh. to you because uh, I've been listening to your podcast for the last couple of weeks and you've got some great guests. So yeah, well. Very, very pleased to be included in this. We have not had a cheese specialist before, so I'm so excited to hear your version of Paris and actually your version of France because you are going to unpack one of my passions and tell me where I might find more of what I love because I've find that when I'm in Australia, there are not enough French cheeses here. When I'm in France, I don't seem to have enough time to eat all the French cheese that I find. But I saw on your blog that you've tried 400 French cheeses. And I was going to ask you for a favourite, but I can't imagine you could pick just one from all of those. Oh, yes. Um, well, I've now had over 460. Yeah. Uh, but it's so funny. Cheese is kind of like a mood. Am I in the mood for something soft and creamy, something funky, something kind of warm and nutty and buttery. So it's really depends on my mood. Um, I've had a few favorites that I could say were number one, one of which uh, is no longer around because the, it was made by one couple and they retired and nobody bought their farm. So that was kind of a cheese tragedy. Uh, But currently, oh, just there's so many good ones. It's almost impossible to choose just one. I can't choose just one, and I haven't tried anywhere near the amount that you have. How many do you think you've got left to try until you've tasted them all? Uh, So many. So there's a lot of numbers out there. Uh Some say there's one cheese, French cheese, for every day of the year. I go with the numbers from the French dairy farmers. So Mm -hmm. they say that there are currently somewhere between 1,600 to 1,800 cheeses made just in France. And as I, well, just like the one I talked about, some are created, some disappear. There was a new cheese created by a farm last May, a Ah. little goat cheese farm. So I got to taste that. That was a new, new one, which was exciting. Yeah. So I still have what, 700 and something to go. Oh my goodness. Oh no, more than that. I joked with someone once that I would be on my deathbed still trying to finish all the cheese. (laughs) Actually, you might be. It's going to take a while. Yes. So I want to take you back a little bit. You've grown up American, which we can hear with your accent, but you're now a French citizen as well. Where did you grow up? Yes. 
So I grew up in Washington state. So okay. West coast, um, most people know Seattle, but I grew mm-hmm. up about 280 miles east of Seattle on the other side of the state, but li- did live in Seattle for many years. I went to university there um, and then lived in San Francisco for some time, lived in New Orleans, which is a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And then my husband and I moved here. It will be 20 years in March. <gasps> so we're coming on our 20th anniversary now. Yes. Oh, I know is my he mind. French? No, he's American. My brain. Yeah. 20 years. My brain still kind of implodes when I think about that. So what happened is we came on our honeymoon 23 years ago to the south of France. I was the Francophile, so I did not drag him here, but I suggested we come to France. We ended up going to the south, to the Languedoc-Roussillon region, and just rented a house for a couple of weeks. And while we were there, we started noticing how inexpensive the cost of living was, Mm -hmm. Uh, the food at the markets. The wine, of course, mm-hmm. it's a winemaking region. So mm-hmm. bottles back then were two, three euros for quite good quality. And also property in small villages, property prices were very low. And so he, one day mid vacation, he said, we should try to find a house to buy here. Not for us to move to, but maybe as a place to retire to yeah. kind of as an investment. Or a holiday home. So we started home. looking or a holiday home. Yeah. So we could use yeah. it as a holiday home let our friends and family use Brilliant. it and then maybe retire here. Nice. So after a few trips back and forth, we did find a house that we bought. And then we went back home with, you know, life as normal in New Orleans. And then 9-11 happened. Ah, and yes. yeah, he used to be a computer consultant. Mm-hmm. I was working in New Orleans. He was flying all over the United States doing mm-hmm. short-term contracts. And his contracts all were cut off by October 1st of that year. Right. A year and a half later, he still wasn't working, uh, just didn't look like his little niche in the computer world was going to open up anytime soon. Mm. So we kind of laid our cards on the table and thought, okay, the house in France is paid for. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have kids. Mm. We have money saved. Mm-hmm. So we asked for our visas, which were non-working visas. Okay. You had to prove that you had money to live off of, mm-hmm. health insurance until you got into the system here. Yep. But basically that you weren't going to come and be a burden on the French system. Yeah. And we got our visas and had two dogs and a cat. And we basically sold everything we owned and moved with... Um, well, we had a car shipped over, but that was about it. <laughs> Moved with a few suitcases and came over. And Get out, really? You like packed up your whole life. life and that was it. You just uh, took that, took yep. the little bits that were left over and off you went. Yep, yep. <gasps> and then went from there. So uh, we hung on. There were some very, very tricky, difficult moments because yeah. uh, the dollar took a nosedive against mm-hmm. the euro at one point. Mm-hmm. And uh, we almost had to go back just because we didn't have the right to work for three years Right. Which we knew. And then they changed that to five years. And oh, okay. we, yes, we weren't kind of grandfathered into that. So mm. we had a few very lean years, but it was yeah. worth it. We hung on. And that's why I asked for citizenship. Mm. Um, so six years after five years of being a full-time resident mm-hmm. and tax filing resident, you can apply for citizenship. It takes okay. a long time, Yeah, but it just meant that we wouldn't have to renew cards every year yes. and go through that whole process. And so, yeah, so I've been a citizen. It's been 13 years now, I guess. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So that was a very proud moment. When the letter came in the mail, I cried. Oh, <laughs> so, you would. I'd be beside myself yeah. with joy. That's fabulous. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Our neighbors were so great too. We lived in a village of 400 people for a while. Oh, so gorgeous. we got to know the neighbors very yeah. well. And uh, when I told everyone, they kept saying, bienvenue au club, like welcome oh, to the club. And yeah. it was just so, was so adorable. So they would very, be so proud, proud of you for, you know, um, not only do you want to live with them, but you want to actually belong to them, which is not just even a gesture, but it's a way of viewing your life. It's really, pro- yes. it's quite significant, really, isn't it, for them yes, as well as yeah. you? Yeah, it was. And we had a wonderful mayor. So even the small villages have mayors. He was yeah. kind of a volunteer mayor. He worked okay. for the, the post office. <laughs> but he, we, yeah, we got to know him over the years. And when I applied for citizenship, he wrote this wonderful letter on my behalf <gasps> saying that we'd integrated into the community and that we were going to be a positive influence on yeah. being in France. I, I can't remember his exact words, but it was very, very sweet. And just, it warms your heart that they, yeah. that he went out of his way to do that. So oh, absolutely, had a very good experience here. Did you have that on your blog? I remember reading something like that. I did. I wrote, I think it was like a 10 part series about my path to citizenship. Yeah. Apparently it's changed a lot now. I did not have to take a test in French to prove my French skills, uh, language skills, or take a test. You do now. Mm. And also you have to take a test about French culture, the government, which I totally understand. I think Mm. it's a good thing. You would have to do that if you tried to become a U.S. citizen as well. Sure. Uh, But I didn't have to go through any of that. I had Mm. just an interview with the Bureau des étrangers, like the Mm -hmm. people who do the immigration or the citizenship office. And then mm-hmm. you have a meeting with the police as well. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. To check that you're yes. a fit and proper person, probably. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and at the meeting with the immigration people, they did just test my language skills while we were talking. So there was okay. no formal exam, but while we were chatting, they could tell that I could speak French. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And clearly, you know, the other things about culture and, and whatever, you would have been getting that anyhow. I imagine if you did have the test back then, you probably would have passed because you were so immersed in your little community. I would have, but my friend just went through this recently mm-hmm. and they asked her things about pop culture. Oh, really? That you would need to know growing up here. So uh, yes. So that mm-hmm. was a subject I would have had to study. Yeah. Uh, also a few things about the government, but uh, no, she got hers as well. So uh, I would oh, have been good. fine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where did your love of France come from? I know you said that you were a Francophile and that's what took you and your husband over when you went on your honeymoon. But where did your love of France come from originally? Yes, it's funny because my dad, you know, have this Italian side, very, mm. very Italian. And mm. in high school I had, I took French. They didn't offer Italian it was French or Spanish, I believe at the time. Mm -hmm. So I took French and I had this amazing French teacher. So all of you teachers out there, you know, you do influence your students. So her name was Miss O'Grady. So Italian, or excuse me, uh, Irish Irish, Catholic. We used to call her Mademoiselle (laughs) O'Grady. O'Grady. She, O'Grady. She didn't just teach us about conjugating verbs and learning the articles. We had to listen to French music. We watched French Mm -hmm. films. We had to learn the map of Paris and we had an exam once on where all of the famous monuments were. So we had a map of Paris with just numbers. Yeah. So, and we had to go through and say, number one was the Louvre and number two was Sacré-Cœur. Number three was Invalide. So the first time I came here, I already knew 
where everything was on a map. Ah, And I just, I fell in love with the culture. And she used to come to France every summer. So every, I studied with her for all, all through high school for four years. And so she would come back every autumn and talk about what they did over the summer and the new things going on and the new music. And so I owe it all to her. I have a similar experience from when I was in high school. I had a teacher, Mademoiselle Hoyne. She was just so beautiful. She was just so young and vibrant and she spoke French so beautifully. And she went over to France for a year and uh, worked over there for a year when we were uh-huh. all back in Australia and then came back the year after that and I just hung on every word. And the yeah. picture that she painted, I mean, it sounds like your teacher too, it just had me enthralled and thinking, oh, my goodness, I cannot get to that place fast enough. It was so wonderful. Right. The way that that passion that people have and they share, it really does have a lasting impact, I think. It does. Mm. It does. So where did your love of cheese come from? Well, (laughs) it's funny. Um, As a child, I was a very picky eater. Well, it's strange because I used to love bizarre things like snails. I've always loved snails. There was this one restaurant in the city I grew up in that was kind of a French restaurant. So I remember eating snails very young and loving them. But how can you love all that garlic and butter? It's so delicious. So so divine. And then... Mm. My go-to food was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Really? (laughs) I was just super picky. And then my grandparents on my dad's side, they came over from Calabria, Italy. So the toe of Italy. Yeah, yeah. And my grandpa used to make his own wine, his own (gasps) charcuterie. And they used to get giant balls of provolone that they would age in their cellar, in their basement for like two years. And then they would crack this thing open. And it was this very aromatic gorgeous cheese with all those crystals. You know how you get the older Parmigiano Reggiano and and it was quite stinky. And my sister and I loved it and he would break it into shards and we called it stinky cheese. (laughs) It was always something we looked forward to was this stinky cheese. So I think I was destined to love cheese from that point. And so when we moved to France, I would buy cheese. It wasn't really a big deal. And then one day I found myself standing in front of a cheese counter at a covered market down in the South. And I was looking at all of these products. There were about 80 or so cheeses in front of me. And I realized that I didn't really understand them and know them. So I I was writing a blog by this point. I've had yeah. a blog for about 18 years. Yeah. And I decided it would be fun and it would be great material to write about. So I started mm. a project to try to taste every cheese made in France. Now, when I started this project, huge task. Uh, well, I didn't realize how <laughs> huge it would be. I thought yeah. I thought there were maybe four or five hundred. I feel like those were the numbers I'd read, and I thought, oh, yeah. this will be easy. Yeah. So again, I was very off on my numbers. So I still, I've, I've learned that most of the cheeses are made in the country by one small dairy or a couple or a, I mean nuns, priests, or yeah. Uh, monks, you know, out in the country and they don't actually bother shipping the cheeses to the cities or they'll send to the closest city like in Lyon or in Bordeaux or in Marseille. So you physically, if you want to try all of these cheeses, you have to go to the country. You have to go visit these people, go to country markets, go to local towns. And 
So I have my work cut out for me, but it's a great project. I've had so much fun with it. And now it's led me to teach others about cheese, which is so much fun. Yeah. And it it. would also get you to see a lot of France, which I imagine would be really, you know, so rewarding. Absolutely. Do you eat cheese every day? For the most part, yes. Not, you know, mountains of cheese, but a little bit here and there. Uh, Cheese, they have done studies uh, about especially hard cheeses, things like uh, Comté or Mm -hmm. Gruyere or Parmigiano-Reggiano, the big aged hard wheels. There Mm -hmm. is a lot of protein in those Uh, cheeses. Uh, There's a lot of good uh, enzymes that help your gut bacteria. uh, Yeah. So they're actually a really good source of protein and calcium. So in the morning, if I have a I do food tours in Paris mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. neighborhood food tours. So mm-hmm. if I have an early tour, I'll sometimes have a little piece of cheese for breakfast to kind of keep my protein levels up when yeah. I go out because I won't get lunch until two or three o'clock then. Yeah. So yeah, I do eat small amounts of cheese. Yeah. Also because of the cheese workshops at the end, if there's cheese left over, I do try to offer it to my guests. Mm-hmm. And if nobody wants to take it with them, I often have lots of little tiny chunks here and there, so Ah, (laughs) I'll nibble on those too. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily. Even in a salad or in something else, I mean, I presume that you eat cheese in other things as well. You don't have to just eat the pieces of cheese. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, I I love, I love, 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 love cheese. I think it's my favourite food and (laughs) I was told for a while that I couldn't have cow dairy and I was beside okay. myself. So then I discovered a whole lot of goat's cheeses and breadies yes. and sheep's cheeses and it really yeah. opened my eyes because I had to for a while. It really opened my eyes to how much else is out there and, oh, they're oh, just yes. divine. So good. Yes. What is the cheese that most surprised you when you first tasted it? So it's there's a family of cheeses called washed rind. So oh, they're yes. physically washed in uh, sometimes just salt water, sometimes spirits or wine or cider or, really? um, mm-hmm, or Is that beer. what that means, that they've been washed in something, the actual Yeah, cheese. physically. Sometimes they're sprayed with a spray bottle. Sometimes they're dipped. Uh, but they oh. are. They tend to be the really kind of – they have that texture that's almost like a runny brie or camembert yeah. often, but they're more orangish looking. Yes. Uh, like ah. Epoise. Have you ever heard of Epoise? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. It's got kind of a brick red uh, – Yeah, yeah, that's been sprayed in a spirit that's a lot like grappa. And so they tend to be really smelly. But I tasted this Corsican sheep milk cheese that has just been washed in salt water, so brine. Mm -hmm. And when I tasted it, it was like a new mommy bomb. (laughs) It was I take notes when I try cheeses for the first time. So okay. I I remember the notes I took dolce de leche. Do you know what that is? No. It's like caramelized milk condensed milk. Oh. So like very caramely, very dense, rich, butterscotchy, but oh. also fruity, like purple <gasps> grapes, not green oh. grapes, but rich purple grapes, yeah. but almost sweet. Oh, it was just, and as it, as you ate it, it just, all these flavors kept hitting different parts of your tongue and it just was layers and layers and layers. And uh, it was incredible. And it's a oh. really difficult cheese to find. I've only seen it in Paris 
Oh, well, that was about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we weren't really able to get around the city much during all of our lockdowns. But cool. I did find it again not too long ago at a cheese shop in the neighborhood here. So I was very happy about that. So oh. I get it from time to time. It's super, super rich. So oh. a little goes a long way. The way you described oh. that just then, my taste buds went all a little bit funny. <laughs> and, you know, because I'm just imagining the there's such complexity with the way you describe it. Oh, and I don't really nice. think about that when I eat it. But, you know, now you talk about it. Yeah, cheese does have all those layers, doesn't it, really? It does. Conte, which you can get in Australia, C-O-M-T-E, yeah. with the accent, but it's pronounced Conte. Mm-hmm. That cheese, it's very important in France. They, The cheesemakers, Conte cheesemakers, have created a flavor wheel okay. that they have identified 83 different notes and flavors you can get from that cheese, broken out down into, really? I believe, six categories. So it can be anywhere from grasses to fresh cold butter to warmed melted butter to clarified butter to butterscotch, milk chocolate, uh, caramel. So it's just layers oh. and layers and layers, different fruits, different uh, nuts. Uh, as it ages, it can become more salty, almost yeah. meat-like. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, cheese is very complex. It is. Very complex. Yeah. I saw that you have got cheese workshops online or that you had cheese workshops online through the COVID period on all sorts of fromage topics from the basics of the history and the cheese families to pairing cheese with wine or other drinks. But the one that really caught my eye was the making a cheese board workshop Uh. because I've always wanted to know, is there a rule about what kinds of cheese should be served together? Oh, not really. So in France, if you're building a cheese board, it's usually an odd number just right. for aesthetics. Okay. Uh, and there's seasonality to cheese. So in the spring, summer, and autumn in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, mm-hmm. goat cheese is in season. Right. Right now, it's winter here, and we have more of the alpine cheeses that were made over the summertime are coming into the good uh, flavor profiles. We have our... Mont d'Or, which is a winter cheese. We have our raclettes. So oh, yes. love a raclette. I would, I know, yeah. it's so good. Uh, yeah. My friend who lives here had never had it. We went out and had some for lunch the other day. It was great. Yeah. So I work with the seasons. I try to get different textures, mm-hmm. like something really fresh, something kind of creamy and rich. A hard cheese is usually more friendly if you have people. I mean, if it's just for yourself, it doesn't matter. But if you yeah. have people coming, sometimes the smellier or runnier cheeses can be a little more difficult for people. So something hard that they're more familiar with. And I try to get one from each family. So mm-hmm. sheep, goat, and cow. Okay. But as far as together, it's nice to have a good contrast of flavors and textures. Blue is the one cheese I find most people, well, I'd say about half of the people I meet who come on workshops, who come to food tours, don't like blue. Oh, really? Now, often they've only tasted Roquefort, which can okay. be very strong. It's yeah. like the strongest blue or a in Stilton France. or something. Right. Yeah, just, mm. yes, exactly. So if I have blue, I put it on its own little board or plate mm-hmm. separate from the others and always give it its own knife right. and tell people to try it last. 
because if you have blue first, it's just like wine tasting. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go in and taste a big, heavy red no. and then try to work your way back to a white. No. So blue will be your strongest. And I give it its own knife because if you cut a piece of blue, it often is crumbly yes. a bit because of the veins. And if you take that knife, which will sometimes have blue veins sticking to it and dip it into a, a nice, fresh little goat cheese, mm. the goat cheese will get all of that blue flavor mixed in and yes. you won't really taste the goat cheese. So it, mm. it will uh, overpower yeah, so it. Yeah, it will overpower it. So really have fun. Try new things. Mm. Don't worry too much. Putting a cheese board together, especially when you're having people over, is an opportunity for you to try new things too. Yeah. Like, you know, get out of your comfort zone and think, oh, well, I've never had this one. So I'll have everyone be my guinea pig. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a preference for what you should serve to eat the cheese on? I mean, some cheese, you can just eat the cheese, cut it and eat it. Yes, absolutely. You know, I like to have some cheeses. Like in Australia, there's a marinated goat's cheese that is from a place Mm, called Meredith. It's called Meredith Goat's Cheese. It's just divine. And it's marinated with peppercorns in an olive oil and with with bits of thyme in it. And it's lovely. Yes. But having that... I like it spread on a little slice of pear, sure. you know. I'll put some pear yeah, or yeah. some muscatel grapes with it. So oh, yeah. is there a particular thing that you prefer to serve it on? Usually here, cheese boards tend to be very just cheese. Yeah. Cheese, some baguettes, and that's it. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, baguette. They don't do a lot of the bells and whistles, but mm-hmm. we don't really get grapes year-round. Mm-hmm. Like now you're seeing more it's sad. 20 years ago, you would never see strawberries this time of year. And now you see them a lot. Like they would yes. not import them. So it's kind of too bad. You would only get them in the summertime. They were delicious and the true essence of a strawberry. So yeah. grapes, it's very similar. You get them in the autumn when it's the harvest season, the grape mm-hmm. harvesting season. So you get the muscat grapes, you get the chasselas, chasselas grapes. So when it's that season or fig season, I yeah. will get those fruits and serve them alongside. Also little red currants. Uh, do you know what red currants, yes. like black currants or cassis? Yes. Okay. So yes. red currants, Gorgeous. which yeah. are kind of tart. Yes. Those are really good with cheeses. Yeah. Or in Normandy, apples and pears are very classic. And yeah. the one fruit or fruit jam tradition that, that we have in France is in the Basque region with all the beautiful sheet milk cheeses. And I know you know them very yes. well. Yes. Black cherry jam. Oh, yes. With those. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that is amazing. Uh, but yeah, normally if I were doing anything, it would be those fresh fruits, maybe a fig jam, which can be great with goat cheese, can be really nice yeah. with blue cheese, yeah. but not too overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. I loved a meal that I had down in Gord, actually, when I was uh-huh. there with my husband a few years ago. And we had stayed at a place that had a fig tree and the owner of the place said, please take these figs from the tree. Please take They're falling off. Just yeah. take some and go. Oh, yes. yes. And so yeah. we had that and we had this gorgeous goat's cheese that we had bought uh-huh. at a uh, at a little market in the morning and and a fresh baguette. And we sat and looked over from Gore. We were staying in some tiny little place that was on the side of a cliff and it was almost like staying in a garage. It was like, you know, some cheap little for one night kind of joint, you know. And so we were looking out over the vista. We were sitting on these fold-out chairs and we had this platter that just had cut fresh fig and goat's cheese and baguette. And I've had a couple of amazing meals in France that I say are the best in my life ever. But this particular meal, just because the simplicity, 
and the beautiful flavours together, it's just stuck in my mind as being so extremely special. Both yes. of us remember the view. We remember the flavours. We talk about it often. Remember that night we did that? Yes. It's just, yeah. it's so simple and it's just so exquisite at the same time. Yes. We, uh, down in the south where we lived, there's several goat cheese producers. And so um, some of the local restaurants do have, as part of their dessert menu, an option to have fresh goat cheese drizzled with acacia flower honey oh, yeah. as a, your dessert. And I'll never forget the first time I tasted that. Mm. It was like a revelation. <laughs> like, where has this been my whole life? This is one of the best things I've ever eaten. And it is the most simple thing. Yeah. Just fresh goat cheese drizzled with acacia flower honey. Oh, so good. It's that combo. It's a little bit like the black jam that's from uh, mm-hmm. the Basque as well. It's that combo of the sweetness with the yes. cheese, isn't it? It brings out something extra mm-hmm. in the fromage that yes. we otherwise don't It does. Notice. It does. Mm. Yes. Oh, and wine can do that too. Yeah, you get, uh, true. Some yeah. really beautiful wine, yeah. Are there still, with your online workshops that you did in COVID, are mm-hmm. there still online workshops that Aussies could access? So at the moment, they're still up on Eventbrite, but I haven't offered them in quite a while. It's been a couple of years. I think when the world kind of reopened, everyone was so tired of Zoom and Zoom classes that yes. I jumped right back into working in person. So yeah. if there was enough interest, I absolutely would run them again. So yeah. you do you want to get a bunch of people together? Oh yeah, actually we might do that. Great idea. We could talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I think though that now more and more Australians are actually planning travel back to France. So I've heard from right. a number of people that are planning to go this year, uh, but even more are saying, well, we're planning this year and we're going next year. So you know I right. think you'll see more and more travellers from down under over there to actually come face-to-face right. for your workshops because it's the kind of thing, especially for people that may have been to France before, it's the kind of thing that if you're not going over just to do all the tourist spots like a lot of people sure. do on their very first trip or if they think it's going to be their only ever trip, but then right. you want to have another layer of the onion of France peeled away and that's right. exploring the kinds of specialisations like fromage like you going to something like what you're providing so i will put your links on the website because i think that people will actually really enjoy especially if they're return travelers to france going and and exploring this because then when they go down to the regions they'll have a better idea of what they're looking for and and what they're absolutely Mm. yes yeah i think people are as you said if it's not their first trip they want to have more experiences learning about the culture of France, the food, the wine, the art, whatever. But I do hear from so many people who come here that cheese is something people are so interested in, but they are very intimidated by it. They Ah. don't know what to do when they walk into a cheese shop or walk up to a cheese counter because Mm. there's just so many cheeses and they look at them all and they recognize a brie or Mm. a Swiss, but Everything else is kind of this big mystery. And so people want that confidence to walk up at a market and know what they're looking at or know maybe how to ask a question. One of the Mm -hmm. questions that often when you're in a cheese shop with certain styles of cheese is when are you eating it? Because they ripen in a very short window of time, not something Uh like a Conte, but like a Brie ripens Mm -hmm. within about 
eight, nine days. So if it's very ripe and really runny and you're not eating it for another week, they will pretty much tell you not to get it, not to buy it, Uh to get something that's a few days younger and then it will age in your refrigerator over the next couple of days. So people want that confidence to go in and know what they're looking at and know how to buy the cheese because it can be intimidating when you walk in. It's just yeah. like walls of cheese, <laughs> shelves of cheese. So, I need to do your uh, workshop because I had no idea okay. about that, especially if you're the kind of person who's only ever bought your cheese at a supermarket right? You know, and loves lots of different cheese but doesn't know what they are. I wouldn't have known yeah. to ask and say, I'm actually going to be eating this in three days' time. I so said, please, can you give me one that's going to be right for then? Right. But to me, you oh, buy yeah. a brie is a brie is a yes. brie, but obviously not. Right. No. Well, also what you're buying in Australia and also in North America is mm-hmm. pasteurized free. True. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. laws that, and so that means it's more shelf stable for longer. But when you yeah. come and buy the real camembert, the real brie, mm-hmm. the real apoise that are younger and they get the texture completely changes from a young to a really ripe version. It's something that you, I feel if you've only ever had a supermarket brie or camembert, you have to taste a real one, an unpasteurized one when you're here because they shouldn't even carry the same name. They're so different. (laughs) Yeah. Aromas, flavors, it's, they're wonderful. Yeah. I'm saying that now. Yeah. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to know. My whole goal is to kind of help people feel comfortable with it, demystify it, make it fun. Yeah. So. No, I think you're definitely achieving that. Which cheese do you like to tuck into yourself when you're kind of when you're curled up on the couch in winter with a bottle of vin rouge, perhaps? Oh, so, okay, fire. Okay, that will be cold weather. Well, often I find red wine can overwhelm a lot of cheeses. Mm. I do tend to go more toward whites, mm-hmm. depending on what it is. Goat cheese is like kind of minerally crisp whites. The richer, more buttery <clears throat> cheeses like more richer whites. But right now there's a cheese called Beaufort, Mm. B-E-A-U-F-O-R-T, which Mm. you can get, the production isn't as big as something like a Conte, Mm -hmm. but there's three different kind of tiers of Beaufort. And the most rare is called Beaufort Chalet d'Alpage. So Alpine Chalet Beaufort. And Mm. this is a cheese made only from milk collected for a hundred days during the summer. Usually it's the middle of June to the middle of October. Uh And the cows, it's specific breeds of cow. They go up at over 1,500 meters in altitude in one part of the French Alps in the Savoie region. Mm. And what they're grazing on is different than what the cows down in the valleys or lower down in the mountains are grazing on. Mm -hmm. What they're eating up there are fields of alpine flowers and herbs. So the ah. the notes in their milk is much more complex than cows just eating grasses. Right. So right now you're getting the wheels from the summer of 2021, summer of 2020. And these are big, like 40 kilo wheels. And you get a chunk of that and you eat it. And it's just, it's so warming. It's so uh, pleasurable. Yeah. <laughs> so with that... I could do a like a light Pinot Noir from maybe Burgundy with that, but I would probably have more of a richer white, maybe from the southern part of Burgundy, or even something sparkling like bubbles from from the Jura, bubbles from the Savoie, bubbles from um, even Alsace. I was going to say even a Riesling. 
Yeah, possibly. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that right now, that sounds just like the perfect cozy, cozy cheese, (laughs) for lack of a better term. I was in the Alsace just before Christmas for a few weeks. Oh, it's beautiful there. So gorgeous. But yeah, Riesling, it never occurred to me that that's a winter wine and I loved it in the winter there with Mm. with cheese. It was just, yeah, beautiful. What temperatures should we be serving our cheese at? Because uh, are they all the same, question. or are they diff- are there differences between hard and soft, or sheep and cow, for example? No, generally the cheese should be at room temperature, okay. so ambient temperature. Because if you pull it straight out of the fridge and try to eat it cold, you lose a lot of the layers of flavor and aroma. Oh. Kind of like charcuterie. If you have a beautiful prosciutto, you wouldn't mm. want to eat it straight out of the fridge. So no. at room temp is best. I mean, when I'm standing so, with the fridge door open and eating it out of the fridge, then that's probably not the best. Well, I mean, <laughs> but if, if I'm a, serving if it like to a, someone else. <laughs> yeah. If it's like a mozzarella or something like that, you can eat it cold. It just doesn't matter as much, but <clears throat> like a good cheese that you would slice and serve yeah, yeah. and not put in a salad. Yeah. Because that's something that a lot of people wouldn't know either, is you really don't get the full experience if it's not at the right temperature. No, I was out at a restaurant the other night and we ordered the cheese platter and they did bring it ice cold. (gasps) (laughs) So I know it happens and I I understand they have turnover, but uh, we just sat and waited for a while and eventually it started to warm up. (laughs) We refused to to touch it until it was ready. Yes, just have another glass of wine while you wait. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Usually it's about an hour before you serve. As the the general okay. rule, at least yeah. thirty minutes, if possible. Okay. Well, that that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. What's the one most important thing about fromage that you try to convey to your workshop participants and to our listeners now? Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Eat and drink what you like. Uh, people really worry about pairing cheese and wine, and I might love a pairing that you think is terrible. Mm-hmm. Neither of us is wrong. We're both right. Mm -hmm. I could love something that my husband doesn't like, and Mm -hmm. that's okay. So I think don't treat it so preciously. You know, buy something, try it. If you don't like it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people are buying from the supermarket, but if you know you love certain things, maybe try something that looks similar Mm -hmm. in the same family that might be different, that would have different flavors, but just have fun with it and enjoy yourself. And try new things. Buy a lot of cheese and wine, taste them all together and figure out what you like. Great advice. I saw that you've lived in a number of places around France, first in the regions and then Paris, which you've mentioned now. So do you have a favourite region in France? I know you've travelled around France. Yeah. Uh, The regions are so beautiful. (laughs) They're so – each one is quite unique with its food – Mm-hmm. It's traditions, it's history. So the Languedoc-Roussillon, people don't, a lot of people know Provence and closer to that side of the Mediterranean, but mm-hmm. the Languedoc is closer to Spain. So it has more mm-hmm. Catalan, more Occitan yes. uh, influence. And we lived in Normandy for a few years okay. near Bayou, which right. is completely gorgeous. And there's mm-hmm. cows grazing everywhere and yeah. it's just idyllic. So the South is all vineyards and olive groves. So yeah. beautiful in that way, but more dry and arid. And then Normandy is just rich green 
and the sea and the light. It's where Impressionism started. So it's all about the light. Uh, rains much more, but it's more soft rain. And then I, when I was an au pair, I was an au pair when I was 21, I was in the cognac region. Oh, really? Yeah. So the sea there and the Romanesque churches, it's just every region is gorgeous. You go to Alsace and the architecture is different. The food is different. I've never been to Brittany, sadly, and I still have not made it up into the French Alps. So those are the two regions that I really need to go visit. I know Provence, I know the Rhone Valley, and I know most of the West Coast. And I can't really choose a favorite. (laughs) No, I'm with you. I can't Every place is different. Mm. Every place is different. Every time I go to a new area that I haven't been to before, I declare it as one that I could yeah. move there and stay there and never yeah. leave again and be happy, you know. But that happens every time I go somewhere, so it's like I, I can't know. do that anywhere. Really. I, I haven't I been to Brittany you. either, and so I'm planning to go there this year. I'm going to go oh, and uh, do a little road trip across the top of the uh-huh. beaches all the way across the north of France and oh, go across lovely. to Brittany and find out all about that little corner because it looks fascinating, really different yeah. from anywhere else. Even the peninsula where Cherbourg is at the top mm-hmm. of the Cotentin, so in Normandy, so Mont Saint-Michel would be kind of at the base on the west side. Right. That peninsula, I went up there on a day trip once, and it's so gorgeous. The west side reminded me of Northern California. Oh, really? And the east side was more kind of Washington State, more lower beaches, more rocky beaches. And it's just this one little tiny part of France. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Get out of the cities. Uh, one of the things people often ask me where I should take a day trip from Paris and because of the amazing train system we have yeah. coming from Australia and the United States, everything is so vast and so yes. far from each other. Yes. But here you can jump on a train and be in Lyon, in Bordeaux, in Normandy in two hours or less. You can be at numerous chateaux within an hour, not Versailles, but other chateaux. You yeah. can get to um, the Champagne region in 45 minutes. You can get to Strasbourg in, I think it's an hour and a half. Hour and a half, Not yeah. even, yeah. really the world is your oyster. Mm. Nor, uh, the Loire Valley is an hour away. So it just yeah. depends on if you want to do wine tasting or history or, but really uh, there's medieval walled cities just outside of Paris that you can go visit. It's just an incredible country. Mm. And there's so much just right here outside yeah. of the city. And every one of them has fromage. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) So what's not to love? Great thing, exactly. Yes. Now, there are a few questions that we ask on almost every episode of the Little Bells Frank Files podcast, so I'll ask you the first one. What is your favourite food to order in a French restaurant or perhaps you might make at home? Okay, to order out, oh, I do love a good croque monsieur or croque madame. Just love. That's It's such comfort food. If I've been in the US and I, when we lived in Normandy, I would have to come into Paris usually to get the train to get mm-hmm. out to Normandy. So I'd land, come into Paris and then go to the train station. And if I had enough time, I would always go sit in a cafe and get a croque monsieur or a croque yes. madame. And snails. I do love snails. Oh, or yeah. a good duck breast, a good magret de canard, which oh. I do make at home, but it's nice to have that out. Making at home Oh, cassoulet. I love to make cassoulet. I try to do it at least once every year. Yes, I had this amazing opportunity 15, 16 years ago now to go 
have, I have a weekend in Gascony with uh, now a good friend of mine, Kate Hill is her name. Mm-hmm. And she has this beautiful house with like a pigeonier and everything along a canal down there. And so she invited people. It was when Twitter had first started and it was a really friendly, nice place. Yeah. (laughs) My, how things have changed. And she invited food bloggers to come for a weekend to what she called Camp Cassoulet. So I went, I met several people there. One who has a a cooking school in Lyon. Her name is Lucy. Uh, I met David Leibowitz that weekend and we made three different kinds of cassoulet and she really is like this cassoulet. She's just focused on it for so many years. She has a couple of cookbooks just dedicated to that dish. And so wow. every year I try to make one, I came home, she gave me a gift of a cassoulet, which is the traditional pottery oh, cassoulet yes. dish and yeah. sitting here in my kitchen. Uh, so I try to make that. I, I also like to make tart tatin. <gasps> oh, yes. Tart tatin, yeah. In a restaurant often it sits too long and the pastry gets soggy. Mm-hmm. So when it's just straight out of the oven, well, it cools down, but the, when the pastry is still really crisp, crisp. and just, yeah, it's such a delicious Gorgeous. dessert. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say those are the two things. Oh, well, we'll put a link for each of those recipes actually on the website. So if people okay. are now beside themselves and wanting to eat one immediately they can jump on the website get the recipe and go home and cook up a storm themselves and, okay. and you know jump into it <laughs> so do you listen to french music at all not a ton no. i don't really have a music style anymore that i love i'm a child of the 80s so i still yeah. go back and listen to all my well, prince and the cure and yeah. uh, david bowie um but i put on spotify sometimes and i'll just pick a group and then let them play a bunch of things that are similar. And I did, I don't know how, oh, I was listening to one of their, because it's Spotify in France. So it was one of their playlists for In the Kitchen or something. This was years ago. And there was the band called L'Imperatrice. Oh, I know L'Imperatrice. Okay. So they have kind of like almost house music, which is not really my style, but if you're having people over, it's really great background music. It's kind of soothing. And so there's a couple songs that they do. One is called Vanille Fraise, Ah. like strawberry vanilla. Oh, I like the sound (laughs) of that. Super. Yeah. Actually, you know, the astronaut Tamar Pesquet, that's one of his favorite bands because he actually had that playing up in the, up in the space station, I think. I can totally see that. It's very yeah. Yeah. mood music. Yeah. So they're kind of fun. Now, the last thing I want to ask you is, can you describe for me, and this is something that I love to hear from every guest because it actually helps transport me away momentarily. Can you describe mm. for me your perfect French day? Okay. Uh, well, see, it would change depending on where I was, but okay, oh, that's we'll, okay. we'll say you can, Paris. You can, you can set the scene. You can tell me where you are. Okay. All right. I'm in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love going to a market. So the markets in Paris, there's one in every different arrondissement district mm-hmm. uh, every day of the week, at least one, except for Mondays. So I do like to hit the market fairly early. The lines in Paris get quite long and that uh-huh. does, it gets a little tedious. So I will go early. And then after I've done my shopping, I do like to sit in a cafe and watch people at mm-hmm. the market, just get a coffee. Often I'll get a croissant that day. Then Nice lunch, of course. Uh, do like to take a long lunch if I can. 
lunch is a lot less expensive in restaurants. So mm-hmm. if my husband and I are going out, we often go to lunch instead of dinner. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, if I'm not working, I will try to go out and just take advantage of the city and the culture. There's so many exhibits, mm. so many museums, just walking around neighborhoods that I don't know. Every neighborhood does have little pockets that feel like it's you're in a village. Yeah. And so I don't know a lot of the city. You do get quite comfortable in your own little village within Paris mm. and just stick to what you know. So it's good to go out and explore new areas or taking a day trip. Oh, I didn't finish the day. So after that, a little aperitif is always nice with friends if possible. And then I usually just staying home at night. I'm not, not person to go out and like go dancing or anything. I mean, dinner is great out with friends, but uh, we tend to stay home most evenings. Or if we were in Normandy, if it was a nice day, going to the beach in the mm-hmm. afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, same within the South. We were about 10 minutes from the coast in Normandy and about 45 minutes from the Mediterranean in the South. So that's always a nice thing to do. Not in the height of summer because you can't find a parking spot or anything. No, you probably can't find a spot on the beach either. I'm sure it's I know. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Or taking a day trip. That's something I always have on my list to go out and see Fontainebleau, go to visit the town of Meaux in the Brie region. I went to Chantilly a couple of years ago. I have a friend that lives out there now. So that gives me more of a reason to go out to these places. So just hop on a train and go somewhere. Oh, I love that. I love just getting on a train yeah. and going somewhere. Normally I have yeah. it well planned, but I'm very envious of the fact that you just get to jump on a train with a, a moment's notice and go, where will I go today? And just off you yeah. go. Brilliant. There's towns in Southern Normandy, like Legla and um, I can't think of the name of the other one, but it's 10 euros one way. It's an hour trip. Wow. They have a market once a week. And you, when you go to the markets there, they're completely different than the markets here. Bayou yeah, yeah. is two hours and 20, 10 hours, like 10 minutes, two hours and 10 minutes. And I used to do day trips into Paris from there. So you can go early, spend the day. You can walk into town from the train station and then get home by dinner time. And they have Perfect. a wonderful Saturday morning market that is so different. You know, they're coming from the coast with fresh seafood. You've got chickens for sale. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, All the local specialties that you don't find in other places. So I highly recommend. Yeah. yeah. Mm, So, yes. Well, you have transported me away in our last few minutes, but actually just hearing about the way that you live your life and your perspective of your French world is so refreshing, but also quite fascinating. I felt like I've had a little journey in France momentarily. So thank you. Merci for spending this time with us today. I love sharing France, French culture, French food. It's very unique and it's wonderful. I love the way that you share your French story of your life in France, avec fromage, like the way you bring cheese into it (laughs) is wonderful. So thank you for that. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests and their French stories. 
To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Little Bells Frank of Ours on Insta. That's where you'll also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Little Bells Frank of Ours guests like Jennifer. You can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Frank of Fix, where I'll post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going as well. For all of the links from today's chat, including the links to Jennifer's workshops, her Instagram, which is Chez Lulu France, as well as her fave music from L'Imperatrice and a multitude of resets, head to the Little Bells Francophiles website to blog post number 90. That's Catravantis. The website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. Then come and join me next time on the Little Bells Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir et merci encore, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Lulu. Au revoir de moi, Louise Prichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.